As you can grab a seat. So good. I love that song. Top five song in the last 10 years for me. Uh, hey, would you do me a favor? Grab your Bible. Open up your Bible. John 16. Grab a pen. Grab something uh, to write with this morning, maybe to underline some things in a couple moments. Uh, we're going to read scripture together. We're going to be in verses 23 uh, to 32, and, and we're going to uh, really dig in deep there. But uh, this morning, I want to I kind of bring us back to where we were last week. If, uh, if you were here last week or if you weren't here last week, um, you know, I'm just, I'm so glad you're here this morning to hear this message. But if you, I guess if you were here last week, uh, I hope last week's message, which really focused on our eternal uh, salvation in Christ and by the indwelling Holy Spirit, the joy that comes of that uh, was an encouragement to your soul. But, but I, wanted to, I wanted to bring us back into that context uh, as we open God's word and continue in, in our series here, Parting Words, uh, looking at the farewell discourse, the last words and last teachings uh, of Jesus with his disciples. And so uh, last week we began uh, with, with really this big idea uh, that the disciples were filled with sorrow. And we looked at the context of the moment. We talked about the weight of the moment, but, but it was so cool. And this ministered to my soul so greatly. And, uh, and so many people said this as well, but it was so cool to see how Jesus in that moment, right before Jesus is about to go to the cross, is there actually encouraging, comforting, uh, loving the disciples amidst him about to be betrayed uh, and, and sent to the cross. It was so amazing. We saw also that the cross was necessary uh, for, for Christ, that for the salvation to come, but that it was also productive in the results of bringing salvation to all people. Uh, and we talked about mothers, how birthing is productive. Okay, that was a good thing. Um, and lastly, we saw how the Holy Spirit actually indwells us even today as believers. It gives us hope. It bears tr the truth of the gospel on our heart. It gives us hope of our future in Christ. Those truths are great foundations for us as we head into this next section uh, of Scripture. Uh, but before we get to the reading of it, I have a big question for us. And it's going to be a question that's going to take you back a little bit. You might think I'm a little crazy, but the question is simply this. Do we really believe in God? Do we as people really believe in God? Now, Okay, again, you're going to call me crazy. Colin, we're in a church, right? We, we preach the Bible faithfully, I hope, this morning. Lord willing. We uh, worship the, we preach Christ and Christ Christ, right? We, we worship the Lord. We sing to him. We pray to him. We get together. We, we pray together. We do all the things I think a church would do. Would do. We're, we kind of seek to follow the Great Commission as, as the Lord leads us. But, but the question I'm asking is not, hey, do we have... Uh, the right confessions of faith? Do we, do we say the right things? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you, do you really believe in God that he's active in the world today? This crazy thing happened to me. I, so, I, so when I was you know, 18 years old, I, at the church that I grew up in, got baptized, believer's baptism, and it was great. And, and I confessed with my lips that Jesus was the Lord. Um, but for some reason in my heart, I, I, just, I only really believed in God for my eternal salvation and not really for that resurrection power that we were just singing about in that song. I, I, I believed, I truly believed that God was real, that Jesus came, he died, he lived, and he resurrected, he ascended, all that stuff. But, but that was all I confessed. That's all I said. But, but there was this disconnect between what I confessed and how I lived. And what I realized was that I didn't actually believe that God was active in the world today. And I think so many Christians that attend churches have the same issue. They love going through the ritual of, of, of checking the box, of showing up to church, hearing the message, singing the songs, going through the motions. 
But, but it's all just kind of a facade of, of, of doctrine and, and right words and right uh, intellectual assent to, to things, but it's not really belief. And this is a massive issue in our culture, and, and people actually call it cultural Christianity. But again, that question, do we really believe in God? So if I were to ask you, in the present moment of your circumstances, the trials, the griefs, the pains, the sorrows that you are walking through, here it comes. Do you believe that the Lord is with you? Do you believe that the Lord is walking with you in those? That in the same way that he cared for the disciples in the moment, that he also desires to passionately and lovingly care for you. This is a belief statement. This is a, this is a real thing that we as individuals can wrestle with. We're a church. We stand for the truth of the gospel. That does not make someone who attends this building a believer in God, both for their eternal salvation and in their walk consistently right now as we wait Christ to return again. You have to make a declaration of faith and hopefully one day uh, upon your confession of faith, you would, you would be led to the baptismal and you would you know, profess that. But even in this moment, do you believe that God is active in the world? You know, one of the ways that was really helpful for me that I uh, worked through this is, is this difference between confessional theology or confessional beliefs and lived beliefs. Again, confessional beliefs are like, yeah, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. I, of course, like uh, God's sovereign. He's omnipotent. I believe Jesus is fully God, fully man. I believe all those things that scripture teaches. But the question is, is do those things have a bearing on your life? Because if those things don't have a bearing on your life with some level of consistency, and obviously we're being sanctified and grown and God's working in us and there's a process there. But, but, but sometimes as Christians, we can get caught up in just saying the right things and not actually living the life God wants us to live right here and right now. Do you see that tension? So there's a gap between our confessional theology or our confessional beliefs and our lived beliefs. You know, one of the things, Brian talked about this a little bit ago, that I'm so excited for with training studies, I get to teach the Theology One study. The thing that I'm really excited for is that my hope in that study is that we would bring big truths about God into action in our lives. Not that we would just walk through the, the tenets of faith and kind of catechize everyone to think the right things, but that we, not as just thinking things, but we as living beings, would actually take what is true of Scripture and live it out as God has called us to, with the resurrection power that Jesus has given us. Amen? And so, this morning, I want to help us close the gap, especially in one given area, between what we say to be true about God and what in what's actually lived in our lives. You know what they call someone who says one thing and does another? A hypocrite, right? Uh, do you want to be a Christian hypocrite? Probably not, right? Like none of us showed up this morning and be like, I just, man, I just want to be a hypocrite this morning. You know, no. But, but the, more we, the more time we spend with God and his word, the more we realize, man, I am just far from the mark. Right? Jesus is like, be conformed to the image of the Son, right? God's like, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Become more like Christ. And I'm just looking at Christ, I'm like, ain't no way. Like, like especially last week, in the midst of, of my pains, my, my issues, my difficulties, there's no way I'm comforting other people. I'm going to be so filled with self-pity. But Jesus models for us genuine care for other people. Do you want to be the sort of person that in the midst of your life's difficulties can just have a heart full like Jesus to care for other people? I want to I lead us into that in a very specific way. But here's the thing. God wants to work in us to sanctify us, to transform us so that we're not filled with this tension, this gap of hypocrisy. But today in our passage, in a moment we're going to read it, we're going to pray together, but 
um, we're going to see Jesus affirm some level of faith in the disciples. He affirms confessional beliefs in the disciples. We're going to see it. But second, Jesus left them for the cross. And then what did they do? We'll see it in a second. They're going to desert him. We've often got this, this same issue. We come to church, we sing praises to the Lord, we go home, and Monday by lunch or whatever the, the moment is, we have an opportunity to stand for the truth of who Christ is and we run. God does not want you to run. God wants you to stand firm in your conviction of the truth that he has, has borne in you as a result of the Spirit. And so this morning as we walk through these tensions, would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray that through this message this morning, you might bring people to belief in you. God, not just simply belief of, of affirming information, but God, a living, breathing relationship with you, God, that leads to our transformation for the sake of your mission in the world. God, would we not compartmentalize our lives? Would we not be a hypocritical people? Lord, you see our hearts. God, you know where it is in our lives where we've pushed you aside to make way for our own agenda and our fleshly desires. God, we confess that the singular thing that is keeping you off the throne of our hearts and lives is our love of our sin. God, as we reflect on these truths this morning, Lord, I pray that by your grace, you might transform us and lead us to lasting change. God, only you can do that work. Help us to trust you, and God, would you do that in us. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to read this passage. Uh, so if you guys want to turn down, have your pens ready. John 16, 23, I'll run through it. We'll highlight a couple things. I'll make a couple notes along the way. Um, you, if you guys know me, I can talk for three hours. Um, so we're going to try to boil some things down and get you out of here by, I don't know, four or something like that. Um, <laughs> let's, let's look at verse 23, get ready to highlight some things. Let's look at this. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but, will, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Verse 25 right here is talking about the Holy Spirit revealing truth to us in a different way than Jesus speaking in parables, than Jesus speaking in, in veiled truths, okay? Verse 26 now. In that day you will ask in my name, underline in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed, underline believed, and that I came from God into the, I came from the Father and come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Verse 29, his disciples says, ah, you are now speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. And now we know, underline that, confessional belief. Now we know that you know all things. And do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe, underline that, that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Underline that. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. We'll spend some time on that last phrase near the end of the message. But right now, our big idea for this morning is this. Believe the truth of the gospel. 
Don't just believe it so that you might have eternal life someday and you hope and pray and roll your chances with God, but believe it in such a way that it's, that it's you being filled by the Holy Spirit that you might not just say the truth, but that you would actually live in light of the truth. Do you guys see that? Again, that tension, that gap. But our first move to lead us there this morning is this. Align your requests with the character uh, the character and will of Christ. Verse 23, again, looking at this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in my name, underline in my name if you haven't already, and he will give it to you. God will answer our prayers, he's saying. But until now, you have asked nothing in my name. You can underline that. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So our big question that we really need to lean into in this first point, which this is going to be the longest point. This is going to be the majority of the message here because it's so important for us. In my name... What does it mean? Is in my name simply like the signature and the bottom of a letter? Is in my name simply just like the cosign of, uh, you know, of you just saying, you know, Lord, bless this food, Jesus' name, amen. Is that simply what it is? Or is there something more to the way that we pray that needs to be in line with his character and his will in order for us to experience the blessing and joy of answered prayers by God in, in, in those moments? So let's walk through this. Sometimes, if you want to answer a question of something, it's, or when, when you, sometimes when you want to define something, it's easier to, to define what it's not. Have you ever seen that? So we're going to define what it's not, and then we're going to move to defining what it is and seek to actually bring us to there in this message. So here, something um, that it's not, again, is a signature at the end of, of a Hail Mary prayer that's like, Lord, give me a new Mercedes Benz, right? Like, it's, it's just, we just don't do that. That's kind of unhelpful. Uh, we'll talk about that. You know, praying in Jesus' name is not a magic formula to get my Detroit Lions to the Super Bowl in 2023, 24. Can I get an amen? No, okay. No. Okay, I love the Detroit Lions. People that know me know I love them. It's like my, it's like my only passion in life, right? Or second, I only get like two. That's one of them. Um, I won't publicly admit that I've ever prayed for Lions to go to the Super Bowl, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't pray like that. Yet so many people, so many Christians, for their greatest heart's desire, treat God like a cosmic vending machine, right? They're like, if I just pray the right formula, God's obligated to answer my prayer because I want it so much. Whew. You ever seen that? Yet so many people live that way. And we, we laugh about it and we joke about it, but so many Christians are caught in that rut. It's kind of this prosperity gospel or name it, claim it theology, and it's, it's wrong. It's unhelpful. It's actually incredibly damaging. It's incredibly damaging to the soul of an immature young believer. A believer with little to no discernment, this is the most damaging, this is one of the most damaging things, a spiritual abuse in my book. We do not lead people to that. We lead people to, to pray in Jesus' name, in tr- truthful, uh, in, in truth. But, but here's a couple things. Here's a couple ways that I think people do that, that I think are really easy to put them in a category so that we can even grow in our discernment of, of the things that we're praying and the things that we're processing. The, thing, the first thing that I see a lot of uh, Christians pray for, or people pray for, uh, is material possessions and worldly accolades. Now, whew, okay, this is a hard one. I think there's a fine line in attention here. I think there's good things to be praying for in, in the name of Jesus. But like if you're sitting there and you're just like always like, Lord, give me wealth, give me success, give me, give me more possessions, give me cars, give me houses, give me planes, give me boats, clothes, phones, grades, whatever it is. Lord, let me be the starting quarterback on our high school football team. You know, like if you're praying for those things, for your own glorification, you think Jesus praying in his name is going to want to answer that prayer to you? No. 
That's ridiculous, right? And sometimes people pray for specific outcomes. People think that if you ask passionately enough, and this is, again, this is a really hard in this, in this kind of camp. If you ask passionately enough and with enough confidence and with enough faith and you say it loudly and you tell everybody, then God is, is obligated to answer your prayer. Have you ever seen people do that? There's churches that purport that kind of ideology, that kind of uh, definition of prayer. This completely disregards the idea that God's will isn't our will. God is God and you are not. We have an insatiable self-focus in our culture of individualism that, that makes its way into our faith and walk with the Lord. That's so individualistic. Another one is people pray for a life of no suffering or challenges. This is very hard. This is really hard. The health and wealth gospel is notorious for saying things like, you are in this predicament because you lack faith or because of your sin. That's just a lie. You know, people that say things like that just don't read the book of Job. They don't read other times in scripture where, where Jesus very clearly talks about the problem of pain or the word talks about the problem of pain. In this camp of thinking, praying in Jesus' name is misused to avoid addressing the genuine struggles. Again, one of the most damaging things you can do to a young believer is teach them how to pray like that. Positive words and the pursuit of positive outcomes totally reign. The result ultimately is an incredibly shallow spirituality, an incredibly shallow relationship with the Lord. You know, there's, there's one thing also that, that really pervades, I think, even genuine believers is that we fall into this rut of dead, ritualistic, empty words in prayer to God. We treat prayer sometimes as a one-way means of communication with God when prayer is, is, is back and forth. We've got to move on from that. We've got to move on from infancy in our prayers so that we might actually have a relationship with the Lord, not just like me speaking to you, right? Not just me just saying things to God, but there's actually conversation happening in that. We've got to be so, we've got to stop being so self-focused in our prayers. Scripture teaches us that we are to delight, that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. One of the biggest issues with this camp is that they would say things like, yeah, just pray for everything that you want in the flesh. Uh, uh, students, I love you, um, but like stop praying for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Just like stop. It's unhelpful. It's not good. Pray that you might have your portion of joy met in God. As a result of that, God will give you the desires of, of your heart because your, your heart will be aligned with his. This is a big tension in our society in so many different ways. Christians get trapped in this unbiblical prosperity-centered spirituality. When we pray in the prosperity mentality, God, doesn't, God just doesn't answer those sort of prayers. And so you know what that does to a believer who's been praying for the Detroit Lions to win the Super Bowl for, I've been 31, literally never seen them win a, win a playoff game, right? I've been praying that forever. You know what that would do if I genuinely was praying for that every single day for forever? It would, it would kill my, my walk with the Lord. It would not develop a deep sense of trust with him. And so if I'm praying these just crazy things, like the Detroit Lions going to the Super Bowl, you know, like, like it would not be good for my health, right? It would not be good for my walk with the Lord because it's setting me up to fail and setting me up not to see God move and answer a prayer. His word says that he's going to answer a prayer. So should I, should I make God feel obligated to send them to the playoffs or whatever it is? No, that's crazy. But why does that pervade us as Christians? Why is that such a thing? You know what that does, actually? See, it's actually even worse. What it, what it does is it moves us from praying in faith to being prayerless. 
It moves us not just like kind of maybe in the middle, but it moves us from like, God can do all these great things. I'm going to trust him. He says this. His word says it. God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to live in light of it. But then what it does, when God doesn't do that consistently, when God doesn't show up to answer those crazy, self-indulgent prayers, uh, we, we, we can become prayerless. Because we're like, God doesn't answer those prayers. And so what we've really got to do today is we've got to step into the middle of this and say, what does God have for us in prayer and how should we, how should we uh, enter into it? Scripture teaches us so clearly that we need to be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. We need to have right discernment for the sake of our prayers. Our prayers are essential for us in our vibrancy, in our relationship with the Lord. So John Mark Comer, he said this, which I think is really helpful. He says, the problem is most people don't think prayer makes a difference in how God acts. I pray this morning that, that you would be unlocked from that. If that's you this morning, that, that God would set you free from that trap. The majority of us are fatalistic. People say, what's the point when it comes to prayer? Lots of people honestly believe that what's going to happen is going to happen with or without prayer. That kind of twisted, lazy theology is what sucks the life out of people's prayers. That idea that everything would happen as it is, regardless of, of how we pray, or how, how we ask God to act, it haunts us in our mind. And, and I love this. He says, he says, it makes prayer psychologically impossible and replaces it with simply a dead ritual at best. He goes, of course, this is not the biblical idea of prayer. Yet so many people are trapped by that. And so we've got two sides of this. On one side, you've got the believer who's praying and asking God, God, let my team go to the playoffs. It's crazy. But then on the other side, you've got someone who has, you've got a believer who genuinely loves the Lord. But because of life circumstance and, you know, they've got, they've got a son or a daughter who's just wandering away from the faith. And they need God. They need God to intervene in their life. But they lack the faith to pray to God and ask them to, to do something in that. Do you see how damaging either side of this could be? Praying in Jesus' name is, is, our, is our shot down the middle. It's not going too crazy over here and it's, it's not being so prayerless that we lack trust in God. But it's saying, no God, I, I, tr I trust you. I, I know what's true, but God, I also want to live in light of what's true. Prayer is the thing that does that. Biblical faith leads to prayer somewhere in the middle. If God calls us to pray as believers, friends, we must pray. If God calls us to believe or calls us to pray, we must pray. Prayerlessness is just sapping the energy and momentum and kingdom work that God wants to do in our bodies, but it, it's, just, it's just not there. The energy is not there because we're prayerless as people. So how do we pray rightly in Jesus' name? Again, praying in Jesus' name is more than a formula. It's about aligning our prayers with his character and will. Jesus', em Jesus character is emphasized with compassion, uh, with uh, all sorts of different things. He cared so much for the marginalized around him. The prayers of Jesus were almost always, check this out, the prayers of Jesus were almost always for other people or to have the strength to care for other people. You see that? Jesus models that so clearly for us in, in so many different places. They're either for other people so that they might be reconciled to God or they might experience some level of renewal in the midst of their brokenness in life or 
Or it's that Jesus might have the strength to go maybe to the cross or some other place to have the strength to do what his Father in heaven has called him to do. Here's maybe a very specific question that you could be asking about maybe thinking about is this in Jesus' name is, is do you pray for the reconciliation of brokenness in the world? You know, I, I, I can't say it with perfection. I'm not God. God is God. I am not. But if you're going to begin to pray for reconciliation in your schools, in your homes, in businesses, marriages, relationships, whatever it might be, I, I'm, I'd bet on that. I, I won't bet on the Lions going to the Super Bowl, but I might bet on God answering the prayers of reconciling brokenness in the world. Because that's part of God's mission. That's part of God's will. That's part of his character to, to seek and save the lost, to redeem things. Believer, won't you be faithful and persistent in the prayers of God reconciling areas of brokenness around your life? What is it right now that you're seeing that's just filled with so much brokenness that you just haven't begun to pray for? Or maybe you have, be persistent in it, but that you need to step into and pray for. Is it a relationship? Is it a marriage? Is it a school? Is it a business? Is it work? Is it, what is it? But then the next part is pray in his will. Praying in God's will requires humility and submission to God. Again, we can't obligate God to answer our prayers based off our will. We can't strong arm God to just say, hey, you have to answer this because you, Jesus said one time that, that anything you ask in my name will be given to you. No. Pray, prayer is the primary way God allows believers to actually step into God's work. You know, one of the things we arrogantly do as Christians is we, is we assume that God's not already at work in things. Have you ever seen this? We think, oh, we need to go there and, and go, serve the, go serve them or go, or go pray for them because, you know, we, God needs to do some revival there. Don't assume God's not already at work. You know, one of the things I think we do that with that is, is our arrogance leads us to forget who God is. Do you know God is actually the one who knows all things, who sees all things, who's, who's, who's actually, this is so crazy. I, I love this. God's omnipotent. He's, he's sovereign. He's, he's doing so many great things. But, but the reason you can take a, the next breath that you have is because Jesus is holding the universe by his hand and by the word of his power, making it so that you can take the next breath. Yet for some reason, we don't bring prayers to God. Do you see the disconnect there? We've got this confessional faith that we know it's true, yet somehow it does not manifest in our lives in the way that we live. You know, prayer actually allows us at, as believers to see what God is already doing and God often uses the prayers to get you to be part of the solution. You know that? It's really cool. Asking God to move in a situation, check this out, is the, admit, is the admittance of your inability and God's capability. One of the things that I think is really, really hard for believers, and, and I do this all the time, and um, we try to take on the burdens of this life in a way that God never intended us to. Here's an example. I have the privilege of leading the student ministry here at Christ Church. If I were to try to, to make it and manipulate it and put it in a certain way that's not in God's will, do you think God's going to want to bless that? No. And you want to know what else it's going to do? It's going to burn me out. It's going to burn me out not because I'm not doing good things, but because one, I'm trying to make something happen that God doesn't want to happen, right? Because I'm not submitted to him. I'm saying, God, my will in this is this. Does that make sense? You know what we also do? This is the same thing. We, we do this with parents. And this one may be a little gentle, a little delicate here. There is, there's children that we have that don't know the Lord. And we so desperately want them to have an abiding, long relationship with the Lord. Check this out. 
if you try to take hold of that weight by yourself, you will burn out and crumble and you will actually not be loving to your child. However, if you, uh, I love this, Paul Tripp in his book on parenting says that we're ambassadors. If we do a really good job of prayerfully relinquishing control of the thing we desperately want so much and give it to God, which is ultimately his responsibility to bring someone from unbelief to belief, then we can actually love our child, whoever it is, well and rightly because we'll love them how God intended us to, to love them. You see that? You might be stuck over here trying to white knuckle your kid to salvation. It's not gonna happen. You need to go to the Lord in prayer. And, and as you pray to the Lord, ask him how you should proceed. Don't simply just say, I prayed about it, now I'm going to go back to, to getting angry at them or getting mad at them for all their sin and all their brokenness. But it's like, no, care for their soul. And the best way that you can care for someone's soul is by praying for them. You see that? Don't carry a weight that you were never intended to carry. We've got to give God what is his to bear. And that's what prayer allows us to have. Whatever the situation or example might be in your life, give those to prayer. Give them to the Lord and then proceed as he directs. You know, full transparency, if I was to take ownership of a bunch of those things in my life, I would crumble and burn out. And I think one of the reasons we get so self-focused is because we try to control everything and we've got this control issue. Again, prayer relinquishes the control to say, God, you are God and I am not. And I want to trust you. In the midst of this symptom, in the midst of this issue, God, give me the faith to trust you. You know what? God, God loves to answer that prayer. God loves to give you faith to trust him. Would you ask him? Do you pray? The more I grow in my walk with the Lord, I'm, the more I realize my life is so completely dependent on God. You know, I love this. Um, J.C. Ryle, he says this. He says, prayer is to faith what breath is to life. There's a quote on the screen. Prayer is to faith what breath is to life. We cannot live if we do not breathe, nor can we have faith in God if we don't pray. If we go through extended periods of time in our walk with the Lord, we just show up to church, we just walk through the motions, you will gut your soul. It's so unhealthy. It's so bad for you. You need to pray. Like if you want energy to, to do the things that God has called you to do in this life, both with your family and anybody else, if you want to be faithful to God's mission in the world, you have to pray. Jesus models this for us time and time and time again. He was always with the Father. He was always leaving his disciples. His disciples were always sleeping and he's just like praying, right? Believer, you, you can't get stuck in either ditch. You can't get stuck in either side. You have to pray. If God has called you to pray, pray. We don't just get to pick and choose which ones, which, which, which commands or which things in the Bible uh, that we get to, we get to follow, Right? In the context of a relationship with God through prayer, God works in us to build and strengthen our faith. Our faith then builds our trust in God. And as we're building that trust in God in prayer and that communion, that relationship with him, God tends to do this. We might be over here with just saying we believe it and he moves it over and over and over and he, and he gets a little bit closer, a little bit every time so that we would be less hypocritical with our lives. And in the midst of that, you have the fullness of joy knowing that the Holy Spirit is there walking with you, guiding with you. You're in relationship with God the Father. God uses the prayer to sort out, God uses prayers to, to sort out the hypocrisy in our souls. You know, Richard Foster says this uh, about, about prayer. I think it's so helpful. It's on the screen. The primary purpose of prayer is to bring us, bring our will 
into such a life of communion with the Father that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are increasingly conformed to the image of the Son. God conforms us into his image, to his character and will, so that we might rightly live how he has called us to live. Prayer is the thing that removes the hypocrisy from us because God does that work in your soul. Maybe you've been trying to get rid of this, this anger or frustration and, and this emotional outrage that happens in you all the time. You know, you can't just think your way out of that. God, through prayer, as you read his word, as you worship with him, is going to do that transformational work in you. You can't change yourself without the work of the Holy Spirit in relationship with God the Father. You can't do that. Scripture's like, uh, scripture says in 2 Corinthians, it's like, behold the glory of God. And, and as we do that, as we see God in relationship, in prayer, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. If you want that for yourself, you need to pray. You have to. Jesus, who consistently prayed up, communing with the Father, was filled with love and an abiding relationship with the Father that led him to complete and total sacrifice. If I were to ask you if you could do what Jesus did for the disciples in the garden right now, in the same way that I admit that I, I could not do that, could you, sac in the midst of, of your life's pain, could you deeply give? Do you have the capacity in your relationship with the Lord to deeply sacrifice for others? If the answer is no to that, we've got to get praying more. We've got to abide in the Lord. We've got to, we've got to take that next step. So our first, our first one is to align your request with the character and will of Christ. Align your request with the character and will of God. That, that was a longer part. I'm sorry, it was, it was there. It's good though. It's really helpful. But the second point is this. Bring your request straight to God. The grace of this text, which is so clear, and I can't walk through all of this just for time, but, but because of the sacrifice, the resurrection, the outpouring of the Spirit, God grants us as believers direct access to God the Father in prayer. Therefore, approach God boldly and confidently in prayer and he, that, he, what, that he would hear you and answer you. If you're asking in Jesus' name and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can go to God and ask him prayers. The God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. It's not a burden, it's a gift. Why do we treat it like a burden? God wants to know you and love you and care for you. And he wants that inside of you to change you and transform you. You know, this is so interesting. There's some, there's some deep theology in this passage and I want to explain it to you briefly. It says, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we do not need Jesus to intercede on our behalf for our prayers. This is a very clear distinction because we definitely need Jesus to intercede on our, our behalf when it comes to our righteousness, right? But when Jesus has covered us with righteousness, our text says, uh, because you have loved me, the Father has loved you and you have a direct access and a direct relationship with the Father. Isn't that amazing? You can have a relationship with him. Through all the Old Testament and through all of time, God has used priests. In the Old Testament, it was temporary sacrifices, temporary rituals of purification for temporary relationship with the Lord, right? In, in the New Testament, it's, it's eternal sacrifice. Jesus, Jesus goes to the cross. Amazing. So the book of Hebrews is like, where there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, goes to the cross, dies, sheds his blood for you and me, for once and for all that we might have reconciliation with God. Not just for eternity to come, but right now. Do you believe that God is active right now? He is. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you as a believer. Check this out. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For, for there is one God, 
And there is one mediator, one person that stands between us and God, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. In Hebrews 4, it says this, we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, the son of God. And because Jesus is our high priest, this passage actually goes and continues on. He says this, because Jesus is our high priest, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in the, in the time of need. Believer, God has called you to pray. Pray, bring your requests to God. Believers who love Jesus should know that God the Father loves them too. So we should be able to, like children, and like, like we would ask our earthly father, Lord, give me a good gift. We align our will with him and we go directly to the Father. As a believer, you should bring your request straight to God. And our third point this morning, our third move, is be immovable in the face of adversity. Be immovable in the face of adversity. I'll read this again, verse 29, if you want to look in your text. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why I believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you not believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. Again, the context in mind, the end of John 16 is some of the last words that Jesus shares with the disciples before he goes and is betrayed. Judas has already come in with, with the high priest and the soldiers. They've got their pitchforks. They've got uh, their, their fires. They're, they're ready to, to, to get Jesus. And, but Jesus acknowledges in this context some level of belief in the disciples. In verse 30, the disciples confess, now we know, right? Part of knowing, part of belief is, is knowledge. But when it came down to it, they deserted God when things came, became difficult. And I'll just ask you this. Do you, desert God, do you desert God when things get difficult? Do you abandon God when things get difficult? Look at verse 31. The passage continues. The ESV translate it, translates it. Do you now believe? Do you now believe is a really interesting way to, to translate this. It's actually, it's actually not wrong, but it, it's maybe unhelpful. Maybe Maybe it's actually better that it's better to, to see this as now you believe. Jesus is most likely not asking a question. He's most likely uh, making a statement. But then he continues on by saying, uh, even though now you believe, the hour has come when you will be scattered. So in the midst of they saying, ah, uh, yeah, I confess Jesus is Lord, right? And, you know, Peter, on this rock, I will build my, you know, my church, all that stuff, right? They've made the confession of faith. John 13, we see, the, we see Jesus predicting that they would be scattered and left. And, and Peter's like, no, I will never leave you, Jesus. And ironically, you know, he even says, Jesus, I would lay my life down for you, which is like a big, big thing, right? Um, if you know the rest of the story, John, 8, uh, John 18, uh, Peter denies Jesus three times. And later on, actually, Peter does give his life for, for the sake of the gospel. But, but there's this moment where there's this denial. I think in the moment, that they were believers. I think Jesus confirms that. I don't know all the workings of the Spirit in that moment right there theologically. I just don't. I don't, scholars debate on it. But here's what I think is true is I think they had a faith, but they had a weak faith. I think they had a faith, but I think they had a weak faith. The disciples faced adversity and they were quite movable in the face of tragedy and difficulties. Verse 32 points to us, uh, the fruit of a weak faith, it's abandonment. When things get hard, when you have to stand for truth, 
when you have to stand on the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, there's no other Savior but him, do you stand firm in that? That's a difficult one in our culture. I mean, it's becoming increasingly, I mean, in some parts of the world, you'll, you'll be killed for that. In our, in our culture, you'll be berated with, with all sorts of different things. Are you willing to abandon Jesus or are you going to have, the, are you going to do the work to pray and, and grow your relationship with the Lord and strengthen your faith so that you might stand when, when you need to be convicted about the truth of the gospel? You know, the disciples even here just don't model it well for us. And I'm thankful that this, the disciples aren't necessarily our model. God's will for you, though, is that he wouldn't abandon you, but that you might be filled with faith, with hope, with love, to, to move on, to not abandon him, but to stay true. But check out this last part. Jesus, our truest model, the one that we've call, been called to imitate and follow. He says this, or uh, it sa- he says, I am not alone because the Father is with me. Believer, not only do you have access to God, the Father, in prayer, but because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have full access to God by the Holy Spirit right now. Like the, the whole Trinity, Jesus is available, God the Father is available, and the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. You have something the disciples, I don't think, to the fullness had in the moment. Shortly after this conversation with the disciples, Jesus goes, and what does he do? He goes to the garden, right? He's, well, he's already in the garden, but he's, he's there. He's, he's alone. The disciples are twiddling their thumbs. The disciples are falling asleep. Jesus is what? He's, he's praying. He's praying. He's in relationship with God the Father. And what does he pray? He says, he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. You know, ahead of the greatest sacrifice that Jesus made, what was he doing? He was praying. If you want to be a weapon in the arsenal of God and his kingdom, you have to pray. You have to be so uh, deeply rooted in a relationship with God that it fuels your mission, that it fuels your ability to be faithful to the calling on your life as a disciple. For the joy set before him, this is so interesting, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You know, I love this. Uh, There's a quote by a guy, his name is Greg Steer. He's a big prayer guy. He says, prayer is the engine and not the caboose of life and ministry for Jesus and for us. We treat prayer as prayerless people, like it's nothing, that it doesn't really matter. Maybe, maybe you really need to tap into some of the power, the resurrection power that Jesus has given us. You need to make a step back over here and you need to start praying. You need to start praying for the engine of your life, for, for your ability to love your family well, for your ability to, to, to sacrifice for other people well, and to live faithfully into the calling that God has placed in your life. You need to pray. There's no way around it. That's what God has given us. Think of what God can accomplish in our community if we all consistently prayed for God's will to be done in all of our areas of influence. Pray, believer. It's how God charges the batteries of your soul for kingdom work. If you want to live a life where you move on from confessional truth to lived belief, prayer is the thing that will pull you back because God will rid that hypocrisy inside of you. God does that work. Not you. You can't white-knuckle your way past berating people with, with, with malice and hatred and, and bigotry and all those things. You can't do that. It's God's work. We believe that. Would you not see prayer as a burden, but as a blessing? Would you not see it as something that, that you need to do, but something is, that, you, that you get to do? 
Would you take advantage of it and would you allow the Spirit to transform your will and desire so that you would be used by God in whatever life calls you to, whatever God calls you to in this life? You know, when you do this, there's something so cool that happens. God lights a fire in you as a believer for his kingdom, for his work. Prayer is the engine of faith. Prayer is to faith what breath is to life. You cannot last as a Christian. You cannot stand strong for God unless you pray, believer. Would you do that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for prayer. Lord, even right now, because of what Christ has done, we can have a relationship with you. And God, you're hearing this prayer right now, Lord. How amazing is it, God, that we can have a relationship with you. And God, we don't have to, to fear being alone. God, even Jesus in the end of this passage says, I'm not alone, the Father's with me. Lord, I pray that our communion with you in prayer would lead us to greater faith. And that greater faith would lead us to trust in you so that God, we might stretch ourselves and our our capacities to live into the mission that you've called us to, God. But God, even as we talked about earlier, God, would we not bear the weight of things that you've never called us to bear? God, would we bear uh, the weight and actually, instead of keeping it on our shoulders, the, the weights of the things in this world that we're not meant to carry, God, would you take them and put them, and God, would you help us put them on your shoulders? God, keep us fresh. Keep us alive. Keep us vibrant. God, guard us and keep us praying. Pray this in your son's holy name. Amen.